This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of Get Booked is brought to you in part by our Best Mysteries of the Year giveaway. Mystery and thriller readers, this one is for you. We're giving away the 10 best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far to one lucky Book Riot reader or podcast listener. The prize pack includes Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, The Lost Man by Jane Harper, American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash bestmysteries to enter to win, and don't forget to leave your lights on. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 196, and we are recording on September 3rd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Amanda. Hello. 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 It's the first day of school. How was your Labor Day? Um, I'm happy that it's the day after and that my children are in school now. <laughs> Fair enough. How about you? You worked. so like- I worked. I was just going to say it was a Monday. I mean, I just finished moving, so it was better to like get things done. But yes, you know, I, I labored on Labor Day. So there you go. Well, look at that. Well, that's I can't decide if that's in the spirit of the thing or like really counter to the spirit. Right. Of the thing. <laughs> Either way, welcome to Get Booked. We promise we do actually talk about books. <laughs> uh, if you are new to this show, as we said at the top, it's a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations, which means you send in your requests for what you should read next. It can be a book for your book club or a book that is like a favorite. You haven't been able to find another one or maybe a gift for a friend or a relative or you're going somewhere and want to read about that place. Any and all of those things are absolutely fine. We will do our best to find you a good next read. You can send those requests in via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop it in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. If you have a time-sensitive request, like for a birthday or traveler or something like that, please put time sensitive in the subject line or the first line of the form and let us know when you're hoping to hear back by. We'll do our best. If we don't think we're going to get to it on air, we will shoot you an email potentially. So keep an eye out for those. And we do have some feedback from listeners for the last show. Uh, Jen, our amazing sound editor, has an (laughs) FF Regency romance recommendation. The Alpenia series by Heather Rose Jones is an alternative Regency-era world with magic and lady swordmasters, love, adventure, and stuffy dresses. Sounds amazing. And Victoria wanted to recommend to the listener who wanted a book on how to write a book, a trilogy by K.M. Whalen, in which she gives you step-by-step directions on how to write a novel. The books are Outline Your Novel, Structuring Your Novel, and Creating Character Arcs, and they're all available on Scribd. Very nice. Okay, thank you all for those. Okay, our first question is from Haley, who says, Um, I love when you guys say that a book gave you a case of the did you knows, and I love getting them myself. I'm a huge fan of learning random new facts, whether it be in books or something I read online or movies, and being able to add information to a conversation that someone wouldn't normally know anything about. I've always wanted to be that person in the room who can tell you something about anything. Is there a book that either of you would say gave you the biggest case of the did you knows? Okay, Jen, who's our first sponsor? 
Our first sponsor is Recommended, which is our podcast that is all interviews with interesting people about their favorite books. And I personally work on this show, so I'm super <laughs> excited to tell you that season five is back. Woo-hoo! Yay! Um, and we've got all kinds of amazing authors in it. In the very first episode, we talked to Nicole Dennis-Ben, who is incredible. Tamsin Muir, who wrote Gideon the Ninth, which we're all obsessed with, is going to be on a future episode. Hashtag disabled and cute creator Kia Brown is coming up. Cartoonist Jen Wang. And we've recommended her books on this show. Lots of amazing people. Um, And they're all talking about books that have shaped their reading lives. So you can go to bookriot.com slash recommended to listen, or you can find it on any of your podcatchers. And we hope you will tune in for season five. Okay, let's see. I'll just keep talking. So the question was a book that gave you a case of the Diginos. And I just want to say that I stole that phrase from Rebecca <laughs> originally. Like, I don't know what I called it before that, but I remember way back in the day talking about Mary Roach and her being like, oh, yes, that's those are books that give me the Diginos. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's genius. So I that I've I stole it from her. Um, so I picked The Nature Fix by Florence Williams because this is the most recent book that gave me an insufferable case of the Diginos. And it's about like all of the different ways that nature can impact your brain and body chemistry, which is fascinating. I mean, I think a lot of us know that we feel better when we've been outside in nature. But Florence Williams in The Nature Fix goes and talks to all of these scientists who are actively studying the effects of nature in various ways on humanity. And it's so Interesting. There's so much cool science being done and so many people coming at it from different angles because not everybody is studying the same thing. So like one scientist is studying how the fractal shapes in trees affect the brain. And like, can you just look at a picture of a tree and have it be the same effect as actually looking at a real tree? And then some, you know, folks in Asia are studying the forest bathing phenomenon and the effects that sound and smell of being in nature have on humans like Human, 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 have on our brain and body chemistry. And then there's just all of these people doing really interesting things. And it's really fascinating to see her talk to the scientists because some of them have like an agenda, as it were, like they have a personal preference. And some of them genuinely want to like figure out how to replicate it so people don't have to go outside, mm. which cracks me up. <laughs> And so every time I've gone outside, basically, with anybody, I'm like, hey, did you know? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and my favorite fact that's easily shareable from this book is that really the recommendation is like four hours a month. Like if you get out into nature for four hours a month, like your whole body and brain will work better. This is this is apparently science, which makes me so happy because any excuse to get outside I will take. Amanda is like fuming on the other. No, no. (laughs) Stupid nature. But I loved it. So and I think it's really readable. And she also frames it in the context of her own move from Colorado, which is very naturey, to D.C., which is not very naturey. And like her own experience of anxiety increasing when she moved to a more urban setting, which I found very relatable and interesting. So, again, that's The Nature Fix by Florence Williams. Do you listen to the By the Book podcast? No. I am obsessed with this podcast. It's anyway, it's two women who are like best friends who read self improvement books and then mm. do everything that the book says to do for two weeks and then like report back on whether or not it actually like does anything. Right. And right. their episode on the Nature Fix is amazing because they both live in Brooklyn. So oh. it's like 
I went outside and there was just dog poop <laughs> and yeah. concrete. And then the other girl is like, we have parks, you know, and it's just the whole amazing. <laughs> it's, just, it's such a good episode. Anyway, shout out to buy the book. Such a great show. Noted. Noted. So my pick for this is On Immunity by Eula Biss, which is maybe mm. like the most did you know book I've ever read. Um, as the title implies, it is about immunity um, and vaccination specifically. So Eula Biss was writing this book uh, as she herself was becoming a parent and was confronted with all of the disinformation out there about vaccinations and all of the fear and the paranoia, especially as you get involved or if you get involved in like mommy groups or online um, mom communities, the, the paranoia and the conversation around vaccines is very disconcerting and ridiculous so she went on this like amazing research um and it's not even just scientific research and medical research it's like cultural research about how americans have formed their views about inoculation and disease in general and the book is very like it's small it's like 200 pages but she jumps through all of these fascinating things that seem like they would have nothing to do with a vaccine against chickenpox or whatever but she makes them all so like relatable and connected like there's a whole chapter about dracula and how dracula and the idea of like being punctured by a sharp thing that involves your blood has made like she connects that to like puritanical ideas about purity and how when we get injections we feel dirty and it's like all this really interesting psychological um study having to do with these like really old vampire vampire myths um and she connects it also to like the aids epidemic and silent spring which is of course a really famous environmental book by rachel carson Um, she talks a lot about voltaire like stuff that seems like it would have nothing to do with whether or not you're deciding to like give your three-year-old the mmr um but really do because these are the cultural touchstones that have shaped our ideas about how disease works and how immunity works and whether or not we have a responsibility to the rest of our herd so to speak um to do things that we're scared of to protect everyone else so it's just a really fascinating look at uh like just hum humanity's weird fear of anything pointy and it's not weird like it makes sense <laughs> but how we have used that to craft this entire false narrative about how vaccines are dangerous um and yeah and it was something else that i really enjoyed about this book uh, because i read it when my children were very young it came out in 2014 so my boys were three which was about you know when you like get the mmr or did when my kids were young um and so I was going to vaccinate them either way, but I was very, like, prepared to get crap for it, which I did. And she is very non-judgmental in this book. Like, she's just making psychological connections and cultural connections that she thinks are interesting and presenting the science that exists about vaccinations from the beginning of their, like, from their invention up until the present day. But she's never saying, like, if you chose not to vaccinate your kid, you're whatever. Uh, you are whatever. Like, I'm going to say it. But Eula doesn't say it. So she is much less judgmental than I am about it. <laughs> um, but it makes it, like, a very e- accessible book to anyone, no matter what your opinions about the subject are. Like, it's just really fascinating to think about why we have developed this narrative around something that's so obviously beneficial for everyone and like where that all came from. And it's just, it's so, it's, it, did you know all the way? So that's On Immunity <laughs> by Eulabis. I also love that book. It was so good. So good. Weird. I think I read the Dracula chapter out loud to everyone I knew. <laughs> like the whole thing. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> 
Oh, all right, let's see. Question two is from Anonymous, who says, I work at a local bookstore and one of our frequent customers, a 21-year-old female college student, came in wanting a recommendation for a realistic fiction with incidental romance and a decently interesting plot. Couldn't help her find anything in our store. We have a very small selection and was curious if you had any suggestions that we could order for her. Some other notes about her. She's very academic, enjoys reading books about academia or bookish characters. She likes books from any time period as long as it feels authentic and real. I love a bookseller question. This makes me happy. I might keep talking. So I picked The Steady Running of the Hour by Justin Goh, which I read a few years back and was totally obsessed with. I think I found it just accidentally. But it's one of those dual timeline narratives where a young American, like he's just graduated from college and is sort of drifting and he gets a letter that he might be the heir to an unclaimed estate in England. Surprise! Um, But he has to be able to prove his connection to like they think that he could be but the burden of proof is on him and so he then is like well i'm not doing anything else like i might as well go to england and try to prove that i should inherit this estate why not and so he goes down this historical rabbit hole uh into the lives of these um English folks, as you might expect, uh, from World War One. Um, so there's this English uh, like mountain climber named Ashley Walsingham, who died in 1924 attempting to summit, summit Mount Everest. And he left his fortune to his former lover, but the estate was never claimed. And so like, it's this interesting, you know, whose child was whose and they never married. So the legal rights are an issue. And then it goes back in time and reconstructs that affair and the lives of those people. And I loved all of the characters so much. And I loved the way the book was knit together. And there are some really beautiful romancy moments, but it's very much like a like a like a puzzle piece putting together all of these puzzle pieces. And Tristan has a little bit of a romance of his own which is nice and I just think like it it, it does feel very academic in certain ways um because it's it's a very academic kind of puzzle like tracing genealogies and letters and documentation and all of that stuff. But I just I just loved it. Uh so again that's The Steady Running of the Hour by Justin Go. Okay, I picked maybe, this is maybe a little on the nose, but that's fine. I picked The Marriage Plot by Jeffrey Eugenides, um, which takes place in the 80s. It starts in the early 80s. Um, and it's about a woman named Madeline who is in college uh, in the 80s. She's an English major, and she is writing her senior thesis about the marriage plot, about Jane Austen and George Eliot and um, the Brontes and these like very classic Victorian novels about women getting married. Um and how the marriage plot is, like, the thing that makes English novels great. And it's a very unfashionable thesis to have in the early 80s when everything was like, the author is dead, Derrida is amazing, you know, this kind of, like, postmodern criticism stuff. Um, and so she's, like, struggling intellectually and academically with her with her um, her thesis, and at the same time she meets two boys, one named Leonard and one named Mitchell, who have, she has very, like, charged relationships with both of them. Leonard is this very, like, charismatic guy. He's brilliant. He's, like, a semiotics genius. Um, he's from Portland, which I guess makes him cool. I don't know. And then Mitchell, her, who's, like, her <laughs> old friend, who is a very odd guy. He, like, is super into Christian mysticism um, and, like, 
spirituality and this kind of stuff. And so she gets involved with both of them. As they graduate, her, Madeline and Leonard move to a biology laboratory in Cape Cod. And she's like trying to write a book and trying to get her intellectual life together. And Leonard um, starts to like spiral. He's got a lot of mental issues. Mitchell is traveling around the world to like get Madeline out of his brain so he can move on. And he has all of these like these mystical, I'm going to go with mystical experiences of like God and what does it mean to be like, what is the meaning of life and love and all these sorts of things. So it is obviously like very meta (laughs) as a novel. It's about a woman writing a marriage plot, experiencing her own marriage plot and like who's she going to end up with. But the romance is essential to what's going on in the novel, but also tangential to what's going on in the novel. Like Eugenides is using her relationships with both of these men to examine like what makes the marriage plot as a novelistic device interesting and when is it not interesting so i think that for somebody who like wants to scratch a really academic and bookish kind of meta itch while at the same time watching some people kiss like this is this is a great option so that's the marriage plot by jeffrey eugenides nice (laughs) sometimes you want people to kiss though Mm -hmm. okay our next question is from Gigi, who says Um, I found myself in a reading rut lately. I'm having trouble finding the perfect book to keep me fascinated. I'm going on a long trip soon. Reading on planes has always been a struggle for me because I never seem to get my hands on a book thrilling enough to keep me entertained on long haul flights. I really enjoy books full of mystery, magic, fantasy, love, heartbreak, and characters you wish you could meet in real life. I'm also looking for a book with depth and detail to keep my imagination flowing, like playing a movie in my head. I love books with magical illusions, dreams coming to life, or even a fire-breathing dragon to keep things interesting. Strong character development is a must. A few of my favorite reads are The Night Circus, A Darker Shade of Magic, Neverwhere, and Vicious by V.E. Schwab. I hope you help me to find a thrilling, romantic, magical novel to keep me entertained. Okay, Jen, what you got? I picked The Affair of the Mysterious Letter by Alexis Hall, which came out this year, and I love it so, so much. And I hope there are like 47 more books in this series because I need to read about these characters forever. It is magical. It has a mystery. It has fantasy. It has vampires. It has shark punching. It has weird dark gods. It has all of the things that you are asking for and looking for. It is also a Sherlock rewrite, which I love. And it's a little bit like Lovecraftian in that there's like dark horror elements, but it's also queer and diverse, which is amazing. The uh, Sherlock Holmes character is a like brown lady sorcerer who appears to be pansexual, like will sleep with anyone and anything, um, including dark gods. And the Watson character is a trans male uh, soldier veteran who is also a doctor and is so like such a stuffed shirt, such a sweet, delightful stuffed shirt of a person. And the sorceress is constantly scandalizing him. (laughs) And it's so much fun. And he's narrating it. So he's very like prim and proper. But you kind of see their relationship through his lens. And it's so sweet. And they have such fun adventures. And if you are a Sherlock super fan, like you'll recognize some of the callbacks. Um, But you don't have to be to enjoy it, I really think. like, And Sherlock is so in the public zeitgeist. Like, you know what Sherlock is like. Like, it's fine. Uh, But it's just so much fun. And it's such an interesting new take on it. And I loved all of the magical elements. The world building is fascinating. So, so fascinating. And I feel like this is definitely the kind of book that you can read on a plane and feel like, where did three hours go? Like, I have no idea. So again, that is The Affair of the Mysterious Letter by Alexis Hall. Okay, I picked The Sisters of the Winter Wood by Rena Rosner, which is a 
magical realist work of historical fiction based on Jewish fairy tales and mythology, and it is lovely. I also picked it because it's a chunker. It's almost 500 pages, but half of the book, like all the um, chapters told from the perspective of one of the sisters are told in verse. So it's very quick. Like you will get wrapped up in what's going on in this book, but it'll keep you wrapped up for a while because it's super long. Um, So it's about two sisters, Libba and Leah, who live in this tiny little village in Moldova. Um, it feels like early 20th century, maybe late 19th century. Um, and they live with their parents. They find out that their grandfather is dying. So their parents have to leave them to go back to their, you know, father's village to be with their father while he's dying. And uh, it's not a great time for Jewish people to be left alone or to be traveling in Moldova. And so there's a lot of worry about what's going to happen. But then the girls find out that they are magical creatures, that one of them, one of the sisters can turn into a bear and one of them can turn into a swan. Um, And so all of these like old fairy tales that they've been told are actually true and they are participating in them. And so they are left alone in the village while their parents go off to like to do this thing they have to do for their family um, under the understanding that like the villagers will help protect them if anything happens. Um, Sometimes swan troops come to town to like take one of the girls away and they've been protected by their parents thus far. But now they got to kind of like handle that themselves. It's very like we're grownups now. Let's, you know keep the household running kind of a thing. Um, of course, things go awry because what would the book be if things didn't go awry? But it's it's wrapped up in all of this, um, like Jewish cultural references. There's a lot of food. There's a lot of Yiddish uh, in the book that isn't translated, which I love. I love, love, love that. And also a lot of, what what language do they speak? Ukrainian, I think, uh, is what they're speaking in the book. And it's just like all of these really kind of cold weather fairy tales are are unfolding before you with all of these Jewish references and there's a lot of there's like love and romance it's just magical and lovely and dark and weird and I loved it and I think it's a perfect book to read on a plane because it's very comforting but also very fast paced and like stuff is happening um so yeah and also someone can turn into a bear that's always fun so the sisters <laughs> of the winter wood by Rena Rosner <laughs> awesome Okay, the next question is from Ella, and I love this question. This is so interesting. Ella says, ever since you talked about The Martian, I've been thinking about what it was I loved about it because it wasn't quite the same thing you talked about. I've landed on books where there is conflict, action, and life or death stakes, but I don't have to grapple with the problem of human evil. What I loved about The Martian and also many of my childhood favorites like Swiss Family Robinson, The K, The Hatchet, Z for Zachariah, Invitation to the Game, is people working alone or together to survive and build something where circumstance is their primary adversary. Unfortunately, this is a weirdly difficult thing to find in adult literature. Literature, so true. Uh, I've read several books in the last couple of years involving teen girls learning to navigate remote and hostile environments where their fathers are evil, ab- abusive rapists, um, and I really do not like that at all. I would like to read a book with action, striving, dare and do, problem solving, optimism, adult complexity, and language, uh, and a limited number of characters in some kind of physical isolation from the general bulk of society that forces them to think about their surroundings and resources in new and creative ways. I would prefer no sexual violence at all and minimal reliance on war, injustice, women in unfulfilling marriages, racism, genocide, or imperialism as plot drivers. Genre is completely open. This is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Really? I love, Ella, the way you zeroed in on this. This is fascinating. And you're so right. That is a really hard to find element. Amanda, what did you pick? So I picked The Andromeda Strain by Michael Crichton uh, because it is literally a limited number of characters in some kind of physical isolation from the general bulk of society that forces them to think about their surroundings in new and creative ways. Um, And also, it's amazing and I love it. Michael Crichton is a genius. And I also love this question because I feel like 
I, I thought about this this question for like days mm-hmm. because it is. I think that these are mostly books written by dudes. Though Jen does have a suggestion from a female writer, but like I think that men are really good at writing books where the stakes are high for individuals but low for society. Because for dudes, a lot of times the stakes are high for individuals but low for them, like as a collective. Oh, boop. Um, so it was really hard for me to find a book about like overcoming adversity and like hostile environments by women or people of color that weren't about more grand like societal issues because that's I feel like how we sort of experience mm-hmm. hostility. So mm-hmm. anyway, I had this whole like psychological moment when I was considering this question. That does not make the books that the dudes write any less, just different. So yeah. The Andromeda Strain is also an amazing movie for the record. Um, but it's about this group of scientists who discover that a probe, like a space probe that NASA has launched, um, that has crash landed to Earth outside of a tiny little town in Arizona, has crash landed carrying some kind of really deadly infectious agent um, that has decimated this small town with the exception of a small baby and an old man. So these are the only two survivors out of hundreds of people who have died since this probe landed. And so this group of scientists has to go get it. And then they take it underground into a government facility of like underground labs that was built just for this purpose for like biological warfare coming from outer space. Um, Because the scientists had decided that that was the most likely, like if we ever encountered alien life, it was going to be in like little cellular organisms that would probably be really dangerous to us. And so they go down into their lab. They're locked in um, with like a nuclear reactor. Like if if the lab is ever breached, they can blow the whole thing off the face of the earth, literally. Uh, and they have to solve the puzzle of like, what is the, is it a virus? Is it a bacteria? Is it some other thing? And how do we cure it? And why did these two people, this baby and this old man survive when everyone else died? Like instantly. And that is the whole, like the stakes are high for these people and they are actually high for like the rest of humanity because if this agent gets out like of course everyone's gonna die but you like you know have faith that they're gonna figure it out and it it does have that 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 feeling that the martian has of like here are um a group of really really brilliant people who are stuck somewhere with a problem that seems unsolvable and they have to just like use their wits and the crap that's around them because nothing can be brought in or out and they just have to figure it out and they it's just great like i listened to this audiobook when i was getting my thigh piece done like my tattoo that took several Mm. hours because i knew because i had already read it that it was going to be distracting and fast-paced and I would get really caught up in what was going on in the book and in watching these like really smart people solve an unsolvable problem as opposed to like wanting to punch my tattoo artist in the face because it hurts so (laughs) I love this book so much it's a great movie also uh, and I think it really fits so that's The Andromeda Strain by Michael Creighton nice um, I picked Record of a Spaceborn Few by Becky Chambers, which is the third in the Wayfarer series which if you haven't read already I think you would like there is some like minor evil but mostly (laughs) it's just about people like supporting each other and being friends it's kind of amazing actually um but the the emphasis on like isolation and trying to think about surroundings and resources in new and creative ways with a minimal emphasis on evil and violence i think record of a spaceborn few fits that really well and it it does, I think, stand alone really nicely from the trilogy. Like, I love the whole series, but they're only very loosely connected from one book to the next. And I think you can, this one in particular, stands alone very nicely. So in this future of humanity, like, humans have left Earth because it was uninhabitable, and they left on a thing called the Exodus Fleet. And they have been, you know, traveling, traveling, traveling through the universe. And a lot of humans have then also settled 
other places um, and interacted with alien races and all of that stuff. So like humanity is sort of a diaspora, but there is still this one chunk of humanity that are living on this fleet that has sort of been like parked in orbit around a place that was donated to them by aliens um, who don't want to lose the way of life because they're on these generation ships and they're, they have developed this whole culture around being a spacefaring society even though it's no longer necessary to their survival. Like for a long time it was. And so they had to make do and live on these ships and repair them and figure out how to keep their their society and humanity going. And even though that imperative is gone, many people are still living on the Exodus fleet. So the whole story is about different people who are either part of the fleet or people who want to visit, which, you know, Incoming and outgoing people are very tightly sort of regulated um, and 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 how they experience this society and what the problems are and are they solvable? And do you let go of something like this that no longer is imperative, even if it has given rise to a very interesting subculture? Uh, it's just fascinating. And you get like a like a like a literal like aliens perspective on them who comes to study and you get, you know, an old timer has been there forever and you get a young kid who's like come there to find work and sad things do happen there's some very sad moments but it's not about evil it's just about like what does it mean to be a person in a society what shapes a society what happens when those external forces no longer apply and it's so it's just such a beautiful sort of character study i loved it so much um it's just a really lovely book so again that's record of a spaceborn few by becky chambers all right, before we get to our next question, we're going to talk about our next sponsor, which is Forged Through Fire by Mark M. McDonough. This is a very literal title. So when Mark McDonough was a teenager, a catastrophic fire claimed the lives of his mother and his younger brother, and it also left Mark himself with burns on over 65% of his body. During his long and, of course, very painful recovery, his faith in like life was strengthened by his near-death experience. So inspired by this tragic thing that happened to him, he became a reconstructive surgeon and now works to help those who suffer as he himself has suffered. So he shares in this book his story of survival and perseverance, to bring hope and healing to those who are dealing with both great physical and emotional pain. So if you're looking for something uplifting, maybe a little inspirational to read for the fall, go check out Forged Through Fire by Mark M. McDonough. Okay. Question five is from Laura, who says, I'm looking for a book for my partner's birthday. He's not a big reader and tends to take either a really great story or something that's super detailed in a field he likes to get him hooked, like the book equivalent of falling down a really niche Wikipedia wormhole. <laughs> Recently, he read and loved Amy Shira titles, Breaking the Chains of Gravity, and Tim Cope's On the Trail of Genghis Khan. He's an engineer who loves fixing up cars, imagining epic adventures, and completing a few of them, and the science and history of flight and space travel. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I picked An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Chris Hadfield because I feel like your partner and Chris Hadfield maybe have a lot of interests in common, like <laughs> space like space and fixing up stuff and going on epic adventures, which is all that Chris Hadfield does. So Chris Hadfield is amazing and my favorite. And you've probably heard of him or seen his like viral video from when he was in the space station and was playing David Bowie on his guitar. His mustache is amazing. All of his powers are hidden in there. He's like Samson. I love him. <laughs> so his memoir is about his, uh, a little bit about his childhood. He's Canadian. And then how he grew up, decided he wanted to become an astronaut. All of like what that entails, what that training is like, um, all of his years spent as a test pilot. 
how he got into the space program and now at this point has logged over 4,000 hours in space. And there's some, some of his experiences are very frightening. Like he once had to break into the space station with a Swiss army knife. Uh, he once had a malfunction in his suit when he was um, doing, uh, what do you call it? A spacewalk on the outside of an orbiting spacecraft where like the cleaner that is supposed to clean the goggles, the, the, the hose came undone and like his goggles filled with water and he couldn't see. And you know, no big deal, like temporary blinded while you're clinging to the side of a spacecraft. <laughs> In space, it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, and so he talks about how his survival in all of those situations um, is all based on the philosophy that NASA teaches its astronauts, which is prepare for the worst, which sounds like a terrible idea. Like, why should you sit down and imagine the worst possible things that can happen to you in any given scenario? But, you know, when you're an astronaut, it's super smart because if you imagine the worst possible thing during your training, you can work backwards from that so that when those things inevitably do happen to you, because in space, bad things happen, you've already already practice that in your head and know how to solve it. So it's both like a memoir about how he got into space and like what that looks like, especially I thought it was really interesting to read the memoir of someone getting into NASA who wasn't an American and like how difficult that is. Mm. Um, and then also that really nerdy, geeky kind of stuff that I love about like what it's what the training is like and how, you know, part of the training is like getting zipped up into these sleeping bags and then thrown into a, you know, rotating machine that spins you around and around and around and you can't see anything and you're upside down and you're claustrophobic and how he fell asleep like Chris had took a nap while that was happening i would have a heart attack and die chris hatfield slept for like six hours in this centrifugal thing that was just rotating him around and around and because his inner ear is weird anyway it's so fascinating and neat and like beautiful like he deeply appreciates space and like the beauty of the vast open void whereas i think i would find it terrifying he finds it like just like this is where god lives for him it's so interesting and the, the way that he words it is really nice it's got a lot of stuff going on for it, is what I'm saying. I think your partner will like it. So that's An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Chris Hadfield. I have a book for you on spec because my library hole did not come out on time. But this book sounds so interesting. It sounds exactly like the equivalent of falling down a really niche Wikipedia wormhole. It's called The Code Book, The Science of Secrecy from Ancient Egypt to Quantum Cryptography by Simon Singh. I have got to read this book. It's a history of encryption. And like, I definitely did not think about like Mary Queen of Scots who, <laughs> who like used code. And then, you know, there's the Navajo cold talkers who helped win World War II. And yeah, like the Egyptians had code. Like people have had codes for as long as we've had language. But I certainly never thought about that, especially not in the context of like current cryptography. And so uh, Singh is looking at all of the personalities involved in code and the historical moments when they became so pivotal and like what secrecy, like how we've used it throughout the generations. And um, he also has written a couple other books, including Fermat's Enigma, and has a really strong reputation for breaking down highly technical and mathematical concepts into like very clear and readable explanations, which is something I super appreciate because that is not the kind of brain that I have. Um, but like delves really deeply into it so that even if you know some about it, like you're going to learn something new. And this just sounds like the most fascinating thing. I cannot wait for this library hold to come in. So again, that's The Code Book by Simon Singh. 
Okay. Our next question is from Catherine, who says, I'm a professional 31-year-old woman, single and childless by choice. I'd love to read something, fiction or non, about someone similar to me. Most of the books I read about women my age who are single slash childless have some damage or some situation which causes this quote-unquote issue. Don't get me wrong. I love these women in these books. I'm just struggling to find myself in stories lately. Hashtag relatable. All right, Amanda, what you got? (laughs) Okay, I went to Rebecca for this, who, if you don't know, is the co-host of the All the Books podcast, one of our co-worker, um, who is also child-free by choice. And she's not single, but she does not have kids and very deeply does not want them. And so she recommended No One Tells You This by Glennis McNichol, which I've heard such great things about. She's like the fourth person to recommend this book to me, so I'm going to have to pick it up. Um, and it's a memoir. Glennis McNichol wrote this book on the like eve of her 40th birthday, where she realized that like she had everything in her mind, you know, like the woman who has it all. She had a really successful career as a writer. She lived in New York City and loved it and like was, you know, participating in all the literary events in the literary world of New York. It's such a fulfilling life. And then when she was about to turn 40, she realized that like, oh, I don't have a partner. I don't have kids. Am I supposed to want them? (laughs) So her memoir is about her turning 40, single um, and child-free, and how she doesn't want any of those things to change, but her feeling weird about herself because she doesn't want any of those things to change. Like, it's not a book about a woman who feels bad about herself because she doesn't have kids. It's a woman who feels awesome about herself because she doesn't have kids and then thinks that maybe that's a little weird and, like, that maybe that deserves some examining. Um, So she goes on this year of, like, self-discovery. Like, she uh, goes on a bunch of travel. She has a lot of adventures with men. She's also, I mean, it's not all, like, eat, pray, love. She's also staying home, caring for her mother, who is dying um, at the same time. And so comparing that kind of caretaking with the kind of caretaking that women do for children and their spouses, because in heterosexual marriages, at least women do almost all of the mental and emotional labor. Um, And so she's really examining like, I don't want these things that people tell me I'm supposed to want. And does that make me strange? Or like, is my life actually not as great as I thought it was? But of course it is. Of course it is. And she's just a beautiful writer. So says Rebecca and everyone else, to be honest, who's read this book. Um, And so I think this is like really, she's not your, I mean, she's a little bit older than you, but is definitely really married. (laughs) Get it? Is really married (laughs) to the way that her life is. (laughs) That was unintentional. And her, the life that she has designed for herself is exactly what she wants it to be and just like why is that not good enough and it's just so it's a really fascinating premise so that's no one tells you this by glennis mcnichol i want to thank you for this question because i found this book that i am now so in love with and obsessed (laughs) with and like need a book group so i can talk about it for a million years i picked the magnificent spinster by may sarton who i had never read before and i'm now just totally fascinated by and need to read all of the things she's written And it is a story about a magnificent spinster um, named Jane Reed, who is a teacher who... It's an interesting setup. So Jane Reed is the main character. She's a teacher. And she was the teacher to a woman named Cam, who then went on to become a friend. And Cam is the writer of this book within a book uh, has Jane has just died. And Cam is like, people are going to forget about her. And she was amazing. She was an incredible human. And I can't stand for people to forget about her. But I'm a historian. I'm not I don't know how to write this 
and pay like enough tribute to her. So I'm going to try to write it as a novel because then I don't have to stick to the facts. So Cam is sort of narrating her writing process to you as well as like writing from Jane's perspective sometimes or about Jane's youth and all of these periods that Cam couldn't have been there for because she met her when she met Jane when she was a seventh grader. So it's like a book inside of a book, which is always cool. And uh, and it spans like, you know, World War One is happening when Jane is very young. And so you get this huge sweep of the 1900s in her life. And it's so great because you get this portrait of a woman who is so full of life and so excited about everything. Like she goes to France with a good friend to take care of orphans um, during World War One, and is, you know, deeply involved in her students' lives and travels and, you know, always is learning new things and has a profound impact on the people around her and also comes from money. She's uh, born in Boston to like a very, or Cambridge to a very, you know, well-to-do family uh, who are also the descendants of like a literary figure. And how she decides to use her privilege is like, amazing. And there's also an intimation. Some people like suggest in very, you know, this book was written in uh, 1980, well, published in 1985. And um, there's a suggestion that she was asexual, but it's like not very clear if that's true or not. It's just somebody's thought. And then Cam herself is a lesbian who ends up living with a partner. Um, and, and so there's this queer theme running through it, but it, nothing is defined. And it's just an it's just an amazing book. It's so interesting. It's a beautiful portrait of a woman's life that is very full and very interesting and very lived without having a partner or children. And but it's also complex. Like it's not just like, oh yeah, she had no struggles and was just awesome all the time. Like it talks about her struggles and the letdowns and disappointments of various relationships in her life. So it's not just like she just never wanted that. Like it's a really, really interesting, nuanced, many-layered portrait of a spinster, an unmarried woman who does not have children. Oh, I just, and there's so much about the setup of this that I just like need to talk about, but I'll stop now. So anyway, <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's like a, a very, it's like, it feels like a very old timey novel with modern sensibilities. And I just loved it. So again, that's The Magnificent Spinster by Mae Sarton. Also, what a good title, right? Like, mm-hmm. what a good title. All right. Our last question is from Whitney, who says, I'm interested in books with strong female protagonists that are set in the 1800s pioneer-ish era. As a kid, I devoured the Laura Ingalls Wilder books and the Dear America book Across the Wide and Lonesome Prairie. Let's be real. I adored all the Dear Dear America books. As an adult, I haven't really read anything that's set in the same time period except for The Hunger, which has a supernatural element that I'm not really looking for. It was good, just not what I'm in the mood for at the moment. Okay. um, The book that I picked... Now I'm wondering if it's a little bit... Well, no, it's fine. So it's I Await the Devil's Coming by Mary McLean. And it takes place in 1902, which I had a moment of like, is that too late for the pioneer era? But I don't think it is, especially when you see the cover and like her hair and the dress that she's wearing. It's yeah. a pioneer. Um, so this is a, um, a memoir. Technically, it's a diary of Mary McLean, who was a 19-year-old girl living in Butte, Montana in 1902 when she wrote it. And she, when it was published, she became like a celebrity, super, super famous. Well, I should say like super notorious um and she is was at the time recognized as like a proto-feminist author she had tons of critics 
Um, when it was published, it sold over 100,000 copies, which would be remarkable for a debut author in 2019. But in 1902, it was like bonkers. And she, you know, nobody knows who she is anymore, really. Um, but the diary is fascinating because... You know, the, the the Little House on the Prairie books are purposefully obtuse and, like, purposefully rose-colored glasses about what living in a pioneer city or pioneer town or village or whatever would be like. But Mary McLean is honest. She hates it. Um, she doesn't know anything different, but she's very lonely. You know, her farm is in the middle of nowhere, um, and there's, like, nothing happening. She doesn't have a lot of prospects. She's 19. She doesn't want to get married. She talks a lot in her diary about, like, lust, um, which is very scandalous, uh, and not wanting to be tied down to a man forever. Um, she is very, like, angsty. It's pretty much a pioneer live journal, like, if you remember <laughs> what that was like. Like, if a 19-year-old girl from the early 1900s had access to an away message, this is what her away message would have been. It's so, like, angry and raw and, like, so much about her, you know, sexuality and how like upset and trapped she feels to be on this farm and like how is she ever going to get out um and she is also really like refreshingly aware of how brilliant she is which again for a 19 year old girl in 1902 in montana is like it's just amazing she realizes that she is a literary talent that um hasn't like there's nothing that compares to the work that she's putting out and she recognizes it and in her diary is like super cool with talking about how great she is which is amazing it's so refreshing i mean just like any 19 year old who you encounter in the world you're a little bit like okay boo boo but also <laughs> please keep going because this is amazing and you're right like you are a genius and you do have like there's no author in existence who compares to what you're doing right now a 19 year old girl in montana talking about how much she wants to get laid behind the farm like that is amazing i love everything about it so you know it's it's not little house on the prairie but if laura ingalls were ever honest with herself or her readers it's probably what little house on the prairie would have been so that's i await the devil's coming by mary mclean Pioneer Live Journal is the best description of that book I've ever heard. You're so right. That's so exactly right. I love it so much. Oh, all right. So I'm giving you one from my TBR. I'm going to get to this book one day. I'm still really excited about just the premise of it. It's To the Bright Edge of the World by Eowyn Ivy. And this is set in the late 1800s and in Alaska. So there's a pioneer landscape for you. Um, <laughs> and it's about a married couple. The man, Alan Forrester, gets a commission to navigate Alaska's like impassable Wolverine River with a tiny group of men. And this is the key to opening up Alaska to the outside world. But previous attempts to, you know, navigate this river have ended in tragedy. And so he's going to try to go and, you know, do this. But he is recently married and his wife, Sophie, is pregnant. And he's going to be gone for like at least a year. And she's going to be stuck in this military ba barracks pregnant while he, you know, goes off and maybe dies. So she's like, cool. And, you know, in the meantime, she's worried about her pregnancy and all of these other things. And so you get both of their stories, him off in the wilderness and her trying to like figure out how to 
have her life work. And one of the interesting things about this, she gets deeply into photography, which is still in very early stages. And I love photography and I like especially nature photography. So this is one of the things that is most interesting to me about this book. Um, and it's, you know, there's like lots of layers and marital stuff and then the wilderness stuff. And I think this is definitely going to give you a lot of the feelings that you're looking for. Uh, so again, that's To the Bright Edge of the World by Eowyn Ivy. And that's our show. Wahoo! All right. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, we super appreciate it. We also really appreciate it when you leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps other people to find this show. And we do love to see the feedback. Thank you to today's sponsors for making the show possible. And you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. 